Open your Bibles, please, to Galatians chapter 1. I'll begin reading there, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? Or if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Add to that the reading of Jude. Jude, the bondservant of Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, by, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved his people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth in an example, as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending for the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation that said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts and these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feast, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by winds late autumn, trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up with their own shame, wandering stars from whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, 
walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who, have caught, who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life, and on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who is alone wise, be glory, majesty, dominion, power, both now and forever, and all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen. Two powerful words of admonishment, two powerful words of warning, both centering around the gospel of Jesus Christ and those who would come in to the church, compromising the gospel of Jesus Christ, or rise up from within the church, compromising the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jude adds on to it the reality that so often those who are waffling or compromising are coming with a completely different gospel that is not another gospel, that is anathema, that they also have vast moral corruption, lewdness, turning the grace of our God into lewdness, like the angels of old who do not keep their proper domain, like Sodom and Gomorrah, and so forth, gone in the way of Cain, run greedily in the error of Balaam, perished in the rebellion of Korah, spots in the love feast, ungodly. Verse 15, to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which, the un, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. In contrast to that, verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. Verse 23 speaks of saving some with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled with the flesh. My final message is one of soberness, one that I'm going to preach. It's a talk, I suppose, an exposition of these texts. The word of warning regarding the aberrant teaching and practices of Doug Wilson, who I know many of you have some level of affection for, considered to be a teacher who is worthy of listening to, worthy of reading, worthy of quoting, worthy of honoring I am distinctly of the opposite position. I don't believe he should be listened to. I don't believe he should be read. I don't believe he should be quoted. I don't believe he should be honored. I believe he has dishonored the Lord and his gospel, both in his immorality and in his severe compromise. And that's being kind. I'm trying to stop short of certain words. Severe compromise, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me start with this. As Bible-believing Christians, we cannot participate in or condone ecumenical prayers, ecumenical worship, or ecumenical hymn sings with Roman Catholics, Mormons, Muslims, etc. They are not our spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ. They may well be 
great Americans and great neighbors. But spiritually speaking, they serve Satan, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of works now, the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, who were by nature children of wrath, just as the others, Ephesians 2, 2 and 3. Thus you see the madness of uniting with them in worship and in prayer. Praying or singing worship songs with men and women who have another God, another gospel, undermines the testimony of the one true God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. They so desperately need for salvation. Praying and worshiping with Roman Catholics, Muslims, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses is both unloving to God, I would even go a step further, hateful toward God, and hateful toward the unbelieving Catholic, Muslim, Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, who desperately needs gospel clarity from us, not gospel ecumenical waffling and compromise. <clears throat> Again, Catholics, Mormons, Muslims are idolaters with a false god and a false gospel. You may think idolatry to be a little thing. Some may, in fact. But the one true God says idolaters are guilty of hating him, that he will cast them into the lake of fire. Exodus 20, verse 5. Revelation 21, verse 8. It's easy to pray and worship with idolaters and act like we have the same God and the same gospel. I'm here to tell you that Roman Catholics and abortion clinics, Roman Catholics at large Catholic venues where I've had the pleasure of bringing the gospel, always want to pray with me. They always want to pray with me. Won't you pray with us? Won't you pray with us? And you cannot cross that line. In fact, that is a beautiful intro to a gospel conversation. <clears throat> no! But I would love to. And here's why I won't. And you go into the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's one mediator between God and the man, Christ Jesus. You're just as likely to pray to Mary as to Jesus. In fact, you're more likely to pray to Mary than to Jesus. Why? Because you have another gospel. And you have another savior. You have a co-redemptrix. And she's going to damn your soul. Not Mary. She's in heaven. Saying, listen to the son. But your false Mary, your co-redemptrix, she's going to damn your soul. And I've gone to the gospel, I don't know, a hundred times at least, with that intro. Pray with me. Pray with me. Abortion clinic after abortion clinic. Pray with me. It's easy to pray and worship with idolaters and act like we all have the same God and gospel. Uniting with idolaters and undermining the gospel with ecumenical union has always been easy. Satan and the world system that serves him heartily approves and applauds it. Selling out God and the gospel to make peace with men and avoid the offense of the proclamation of the one true God and the ministry of his one true gospel will always be easy. But the idolaters' eternity in hell will be hard. Amen. Love is hard. Hateful compromise and apostasy have always been easy. We need to love Catholics, Mormons, and Muslims enough not to pray with them to end abortion or on any other moral or civic cause. We need to love them enough not to have hymn scenes and parking lots with them to protest leftist tyranny and the erosion of our civil liberties in Moscow, Idaho, or anywhere else. How is it Reformed, so-called, Protestants, so-called, are uniting with Catholics to protest leftist tyranny by singing hymns together as if we worship the same Jesus and believe the same gospel. Reformed Protestants uniting with Roman Catholics to protest the governments infringing on our civil liberties. That should make your head spin. 
The Catholic false god slash Jesus and false gospel are contained in and idolatrously worshipped in the transubstantiated wafer and cup consumed at Mass for a fictional dose of daily justification. We can't pray with or worship with them. They pray to a piece of bread. They are idolaters. They worship a piece of bread. They are idolaters. We don't pray with and worship with idolaters. The mythical Mormon god, who was once a man, ascended to become a god, and promises you'll become a god too if you follow the false Christ of the LDS Church, we can't pray with or worship with them either. The Muslim's God doesn't exist. He is not the God of the Bible. He's the figment of Muhammad's idolatrous imagination. And there Jesus is said to be a prophet, but not divine, not crucified, not resurrected, and not the only Savior of sinners by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to the glory of the triune God alone. Therefore, we can't pray or worship with them. And most of us get that. I don't find too many professing Reformed Protestant Christians or Biblical Bible Christians or Biblical Baptist Christians, or whatever flag you want to fly, worshiping and praying with Muslims and Mormons, but I find many doing it with Roman Catholics. The longest standing satanic cult that's damned more souls than any other, and yet will unite with them in prayer and worship? No matter who holds them, no matter where they're held, Ecumenical prayer and or hymn-seeing gatherings blasting God and the gospel. Love of God and love of perishing sinners forbids it. The primacy of the gospel must be maintained. I've already read Galatians 1 in nearly its entirety. Let me read a portion thereof again. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed, as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. But wait, Paul, all we did is, you know, not eat some stuff. That's all. Maybe a little circumcision, you know. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? Are we, are we outright preaching another gospel? Are we just hanging out with Judaizers who do preach another gospel and capitulating to them? Honoring them and their false gospel? I'm sure you caught it, but that is in reference to the hymn sing that Doug Wilson held in Moscow, Idaho, in protest of COVID restrictions. The highly touted and proclaimed hymn scene that resulted in one of their members being arrested. The hymn scene where Roman Catholics were knowingly invited and where the invitation of them was after the event touted, defended, by leaders in the Moscow church on their response to the arrest and breakdown of the whole situation. And they mocked the idea that some like me would be greatly concerned that they had united with Roman Catholics for this hymn sing and prayer in the square there in Idaho. That was not the first time I've been alarmed by Doug Wilson's teaching and activities. Some time ago, one of my congregants was tweeting out quotes 
from Doug Wilson. And I wrote him immediately. <laughs> I read your recent tweets regarding Doug Wilson with interest. I want to take a few minutes to share my position. Out of love for Christ, his gospel, his church, and perishing Roman Catholics, I reject Doug Wilson as unsound and unsafe because of his consistent, ugly, unholy, and profane statements regarding and toward women and his highly confused and dangerous declaration that Roman Catholics are participants in the New Covenant and are thus in an objective covenant relationship with Christ and are thus our brothers and sisters in Christ by their triune baptism. Thus I read Galatians 1 and Jude because it is both serious soteriological, theological compromise and serious, offensive, ugly, disgusting, misogynist, perverted, immorality. On either front, I reject the man outright as a danger to the body of Christ, a man not to be associated with, a man who does not belong in the pulpit, does not belong in ministry, his books do not belong in Christian shelves, his quotes do not belong in any Christian mouth. I have no personal axe to grind against Doug Wilson. I have no animus against him, except that he offends my Lord and his gospel, and he endangers souls, the souls of 1.2, give or take, billion Roman Catholics. And he steals away the zeal of the true church of Jesus Christ, Reformed, Baptist, and otherwise, that loves the gospel and must carry that gospel to unconverted, unrepentant, unregenerate, damned Roman Catholics who are not our brothers and sisters in Christ until they repent of the abominable doctrines of Rome and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and to believe his gospel. Have we forgotten the simplicity of Mark 1.15? Repent and believe the gospel. It still applies to every single Roman Catholic on the planet. They must repent of the heresies of Rome and actually believe the gospel to be saved. We cannot cast a vast blanket over them and declare, well, I know lots of Roman Catholics that are saved. They love Jesus. They just have some add-ons. Some add-ons called heresy. Damnable heresy. There's this thing called the Reformation. It matters. They must repent of the false gospel of Rome. They must repent of their abominable baptism that is no baptism at all. Their paedo-baptism. Their infant baptism, which is no expression of faith, no believer expressing faith in Christ, no believer repenting and confessing Christ as Lord. It's no baptism at all, for it's no immersion, there's no belief, there's no repentance. It's a antichrist priest sprinkling unholy water on an unholy infant that is not born again from above, and then declaring the child to be born again a new creature, and a member of the universal church of Christ under the grace of God. Until a Roman Catholic repents of that heartily, they have not believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now have they? That's another gospel. Until they repent of their antichrist to transubstantiation, this wafer that is not Christ, but is in the place of Christ, that is an affront to Christ, that offends my Lord, and denies his to die, they are not 
regenerate. They're not born again. They're not saved. They're not my brother and sister in Christ. And if you say they are, you are not my brother and sister in Christ. You do not know the gospel. You are an enemy of the gospel. Again, I say, of love for Christ and his gospel, his church and parish and Roman Catholics, I reject Douglas Wilson as an unsound and unsafe man because of his consistent, ugly, unholy, and profane statements regarding and toward women. His highly confused and dangerous declaration that Roman Catholics are participants in the new covenant and are thus an objective covenant relationship with Christ and are thus our brothers and sisters in Christ by their triune baptism. I'm confident that you will agree that heretical baptismal regeneration teaching pre-sprinkling babies and or adults with water does not make them participants in the new covenant described here. This is the new covenant. And heretical priests sprinkling anyone with water does not make one a participant in it. Jeremiah 31, 33-34. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. And yet, in their mind, they still love, defend, support, and thus participate in lawlessness. Antichrist lawlessness. Anti-gospel lawlessness. The New Covenant says, I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they should be my people. Anything about sprinkling babies there? No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. Those who are members of the New Covenant, those who are participants of the New Covenant, those who are recipients of the New Covenant, they what? They know God salvifically. The law is in their heart and on their mind because they are regenerate. Saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. I will forgive their iniquity. If they are recipients of participants in the new covenant, then they are what? They are saved. They're actually saved. And it is a madness, a nuanced madness, with Doug Wilson delights in nuanced madness. It is a nuanced madness to say they are members and participants of the new covenant and yet not regenerate. You're done. You're finished. Sit down. You're unqualified. I don't care how esteemed you are. I don't care what you've written. I don't care about the, the $10 words you pull out of dictionaries. You're done. And who am I? I'm just a simple preacher. You know my one qualification over Doug Wilson, and I'll stand on it. I'll stand on it. I have preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. I have defended the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have spoken the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have conversed the gospel of Jesus Christ with thousands of Roman Catholics, face to face. Thousands, no, no, not thousands, tens of thousands. No, wait, hundreds of thousands. And that's not a boast, it's just the truth. It's the truth. That is my qualification to speak this truth that Doug Wilson is so severely lacking. Because he calls them brothers and sisters of Christ, he need not go to them and call them to repent of their heretical baptism, to repent of their heretical transubstantiation. Rather, he can just count them as brothers and sisters in Christ and hope it all gets worked out in the end somehow. There's no zeal for their souls. Rather, we invite them to worship alongside us. Wilson's claim is wholly contrary to the clear new covenant that God authored and preserved in Holy Scripture. Unbelieving infants are not participants in the new covenant through 
heretical baptismal regeneration sprinkling by a heretical priest and heretical church. Furthermore, adult converts to Catholicism's heresies are not participants in the New Covenant through heretical baptismal regeneration sprinkling by a heretical priest and a heretical church. The Bible knows of no brother or sister in Christ who is not born again. Definitions matter. The Bible knows of no brother and sister in Christ who is not born again, regenerate, repentant, believing the gospel and following Christ as Lord. Nor do I. Nor do I. Nor does any Christian. However, Wilson explains, nuances, or justifies it from church history or with misapplied scripture. His teaching is confused and dangerous. More can be quoted, but I've got limited time. And I think you'll agree that these quotes suffice to reject Wilson as unsound and unsafe. This is from Douglas Wilson's uh, little teaching, Our Roman Catholics are brothers and sisters in Christ. If you ever find yourself teaching something titled, Our Roman Catholics are brothers and sisters in Christ, where the answer is not, no, they are our mission field then you are a dangerous man. When you go well beyond falling short of no, they are a mission field in answering that question. It's just saying this, quote, this is Douglas Wilson, and it's from the minute mark, 24 minutes, 22 seconds, through 24 minutes and 54 seconds in his teaching, our Roman Catholics, our brothers and sisters in Christ, quote, <clears throat> baptism into the triune name means what God says it means and not what the men performing it say or think about it. This is again where I say, Confused nuance. Let God be true and every man a liar. So then Trinitarian baptism, baptism into the triune name, places an individual into an objective covenant relationship with Christ. So neither the one doing it nor the one receiving it has to actually believe the right things as long as it's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me read it again, because it's madness. It takes a minute. Baptism into the triune name means what God says it means, and not what the men performing it say or think about it. Let God be true and every man a liar. So the Trinitarian baptism, baptism of the triune name, places an individual into an objective covenant relationship with Christ. This does not mean he's automatically regenerate, but that he's necessarily among the elect. So you're in a covenant relationship with Christ, but not regenerate, and not necessarily elect. The conclusion is, is that I believe faithless Roman Catholics are in fact members of the New Covenant. You're done. You're done. The conclusion is that I believe faithless Roman Catholics are in fact members of the New Covenant. What New Covenant? Not the New Covenant on the page of Holy Scripture. Not that New Covenant where God's law is written on their mind and their heart and they know me, says God. The conclusion is that I believe faithless Roman Catholics are in fact members of the New Covenant, otherwise how can they be covenant breakers? So you start with a false foundation, you work your way forward and end at the false foundation, I guess. How can they be covenant breakers? They're not covenant breakers. They're not in the covenant. They're just unregenerate, unsaved, not born again, dead in sin and trespass, heretics. They're heretics that need to be saved. Their heresy needs to be exposed. We need to call them to wait. Wait for it. It's profound. It's profound. Mark 1.15. Repent and believe the gospel. There was a fine message this morning on repentance. It applies to 1.2, give or take, billion Roman Catholics who have not repented 
and believe the gospel. If they have repented, how would we know? They would stand against their baptism. They would repudiate, reject it, deny it. They would stand against the transubstantiated Christ that they eat for justification and worship. Both a false God, a false Christ, and a false gospel. That's three, not both. Forgive me. Let's unpack that a little further. The moderator asks Douglas Wilson, quote, were J.R.R. Tolkien and G.K. Chesterton saved? Now, J.R.R. Tolkien was a Roman Catholic. Undeniable fact. G.K. Chesterton is like the premier Roman Catholic apologist. This should be an easy answer. No. No. Why would you ask that? It should be a softball on a t-ball stand with a great big bat. <laughs> and I'm going to get a massive gospel grand slam. Doug Wilson says, let's just put it this way. If they were not, then I'm in a lot of trouble. And he laughs. And this matters. And you're going to hear some more of this. Because if you're selling something that you shouldn't be selling from the pulpit or as a so-called Christian teacher, a little humor and a little mockery go a long ways. Let's put it this way. If they were not, then I'm in a lot of trouble. All right? I assume there's a follow-up question on that because you're talking about their Catholicism, right? Is that the... Their, there's actually a very important point here. Some people, some Protestants think if you start allowing Catholics to be saved, you know, Chesterton, Tolkien, and people like that, that you're going soft in your Protestantism, right? Right. 100%. No exceptions. Absolutely. How do you get to decide J.R.R. Tolkien is saved? You liked his movies? Oh, you read the books. Yeah, I read the books too. Nice fantasy. Great. I saw the movies. Fun. Fun, good stuff. But as a theologian, as a Christian, no, he's not a Christian. I don't bias theology. I do bias fantasy. But again, Doug Wilson gets the question. You're asking because they're Catholic, right? You're talking about the Catholicism, right? Is that the, there's actually a very important point here? Some people, some Protestants think if you start allowing Catholics to be saved, you know, Chesterton and Tolkien and people like that, you're going soft in your Protestantism, right? You know what that sounds like? That sounds like. Somebody on the wrong side of Jude in Galatians chapter 1 and 2 John and a few other texts. It sounds like somebody trying to convince Brian and me and every other pastor, every other biblical Christian, that hey, Catholics can be saved too. But what's the big deal? What are we talking about here? If you start allowing Catholics to be saved, God doesn't allow them to be saved. Unless they repent. There's not a single saved Catholic on the planet. Praise God, there are many repentant former Catholics on the planet who confess Christ as Lord and believe his gospel. So, some people, some Protestants think if you start allowing Catholics to be saved, you know, Chesterton, Tolkien, and people like that, that you're going soft in your Protestantism, right? You're sort of trying to do the uh, reproachment thing. But the reason I believe that Roman Catholics can be saved is because we're not saved by works. Protestants are right. In other words, 
I think a lot of the diehard Protestants who say, no, we're saved by grace, through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, then turn around and immediately say, and you Catholics over there, you are saved by works, right? Right? Moderator. Because there's something you're not doing, Doug Wilson, or because there's something you are doing that's wrong. Right. Like participating in heresy. Moderator. Okay, Doug Wilson pointing at unseen Catholics theatrically, that's a sin. Mocking. Moderated, right. Doug Wilson, well, of course I'm not. I'm as Protestant as you get. I believe that Chesterton and Tolkien were wrong, and the Protestants are wrong about salvation being only of grace, The people who pray to pictures are in trouble, right? You're in big trouble. It's idolatry. I think there are um, a number of things that the Roman Catholics do that encourage people to stumble over essential parts of the gospel. Unfortunately, a bunch of Protestants stumble over the same thing. You see how incredibly lawful this is? That's oh, wrong. They're in error. They cause some people to stumble over the gospel. Where is Galatians 1 passion? Where is Jude? Where is 2 John? Where is Paul talking to the elders of Ephesus? Where's the Reformation? I don't care what banner you fly, what name you tag on yourself, or your church, your books. You're not reformed unless you define, defend, and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ against the most ancient, satanic enemy of Christ on the planet, the Roman Catholic Church. So, he says, I think there are um, a number of things that Roman Catholics do that encourage people to stumble over essential parts of the gospel. Unfortunately, a bunch of Protestants stumble over the same thing. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by doctrinal works. What? We're not saved by works. We're not saved by doctrinal works. Suppose I get to the pearly gates and God says, okay, Wilson, before I let you in, we're going to sit you down and give you a justification by faith alone test. And he's done two or three or four times over by now. Done. Finished. Moderator. Right. Right. No, wrong. Wrong. What are you talking about? What are you saying, man? Doug Wilson. These are your comprehensives, right? And you've got to get 100% of justification by faith test administered by St. Peter here to get into heaven. Guess what? You do. You do. Well, let me think. There's this book. Galatians. Let me think. Galatians, oh, we started in chapter 1. You know, it goes on. Did you know that? It goes on. There's a bit, there's a bit more. Let's see. Yeah. Uh, there's chapter 5 and verse 4. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. How, how does faith alone become a doctrinal work that is not like us being compared to Roman Catholic sacramental work. How is, how is faith alone something we can give up, something we can sacrifice? How is one of the pillars of the Reformation being given up by one of the so-called pillars of Reformation teaching today? He is not a pillar of Reformation teaching. He is an anti-reformer. Justification by faith is life or death, heaven or hell, it is a hill to die on. And he just mocked it. In fact, he didn't just mock it. He said it's nothing. Stop it. Get over it. 
We're not saved by works. We're not saved by doctrinal works. Suppose I get to the pearly gates and God says, okay, Wilson, before we let you in, we're going to sit you down and give you a justification by faith alone test. Right, right, says the moderator. But Wilson, these are your comprehensives, right? You've got to get 100% justification by faith test administered by St. Peter here to get into heaven. Yes, 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 you must. To tell us Does that ring a bell, anyone? To tell us You add something to Christ to tell us and you're damned. It's faith in Christ and his to tell us die alone, or you are damned. Moderator, is this the PCA or heaven? Doug Wilson, heaven. Who's going to get 100% of the doctrinal test administered by the celestials or by God? We're not talking about some tertiary matters. We're not talking about some debate uh, on some finer point of eschatology. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, you must get your soteriology right. You must get faith alone right. How has this been put in the realm of compromise? This is no big deal. This is nothing we have to get 100% on. You know, the, the gospel, faith alone. Who is going to get 100% on a doctrinal test admitted by the celestials or by God? You know, um, I believe if you go through any vibrant, healthy, evangelical church where people are manifestly saved and get them all talking a pop quiz or or taking a pop quiz or a pop test. Okay, let's, I believe you could turn over enough flat rocks to come up with any number of heresies, bad heresies, or problematic ways. Moderator, you could say the Trinity and probably have uh, every nice Sunday school teacher do the egg analogy, and they'd be wrong, and it's a heresy. Doug Wilson, ice, water, steam, there's all kinds of sweet Christian people who have got, and so uh, they're teaching heresy every Sunday, says the moderator. Isn't it funny that they go to heresy? You know why? Because it's heresy, that's what they're talking about. Rejecting salvation by faith alone is heresy. And now they're talking about uh, steam, ice, and water being heresy. Well, it's a bad illustration, but um, that's entirely different than saying you don't have to believe in Jesus Christ as telestai alone, faith alone that Roman Catholics are the brothers and sisters of Christ, that they're in the New Covenant. That G.K. Chesterton, premier Roman Catholic apologist, is a brother in Christ, along with J.R. Tolkien. Doug Wilson, right. Now, that doesn't make teaching heresy okay. That doesn't mean I approve of it. That doesn't make it not sinful. That doesn't make it a problem. Error, bad. Bad. Don't do that. Bad. Heresy, you're going to hell. It's damnable doctrine. Right. Now, that doesn't make teaching heresy okay. That doesn't mean I approve of it. That doesn't make it not sinful. That doesn't make it not a problem. It is a problem. So, damnable heresy just became a problem. But it's not the kind of thing, I'll just boil it down. I'm a Protestant. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by our doctrinal works. He says it again. We're not saved by our ethical works. We're saved by the grace of God, period. Oh, isn't it amazing? It's amazing. What is the grace of God, oh, reformed theologian? The power of God. To what? Revive a dead soul. Regenerate a dead soul. And what happens when the power of God in sovereign grace regenerates a dead soul? The dead soul is now alive and does what? Repents. 
and believes the gospel. I know what grace he's talking about. Well, actually, I do. It's what the Roman Catholics call grace. This is not sovereign grace. This is not saving grace. This is not the grace that comes with power to save with regeneration and illumination and the twin gifts of repentance and faith. He says, I'll boil it down. I'm a Protestant. No, you're not. How are you a Protestant when you're saying G.K. Chesterton, along with a whole slew of other Roman Catholics, are suddenly brothers and sisters of Christ and are actually even saved? And if they're not saved, if J.R. Tolkien isn't saved, if G.K. Chesterton isn't saved, I'm in trouble, he says. I'm a Protestant. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by our doctrinal works. And you get the trouble with that, right? You, you do have the alarms going off to equate being not saved by works with not being saved by so-called doctrinal works, believing the gospel. We're not saved by our ethical works. We're saved by the grace of God, period. Now, because that's truth, because Protestants are right, Catholics can be saved, and they laugh. It's not truth. It's a lie. It's incredibly dangerous. It's another gospel, but it's not another. It's anathema. And I wish I didn't have to be the one blowing the whistle. I wish one of my elder brothers, with four more letters after their name, had blown the whistle long ago. But I love you men. I love you women. And I hear too much honor of a dangerous man on the lips of men and women that I love. I love the gospel you preach. And I know this man is an enemy of that gospel. And so I must be. Now because that's truth, because Protestants are right, Catholics can be saved. Ha 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 ha. Moderator, right. Douglas Wilson, right. Does that make sense? So this is not a split the difference or a creeping ecumenical. Let's just call it good. No, I think the issues of the Protestant Reformation were essential for powerful preaching, but justification by faith does not mean believing in justification by faith. Justification by faith does not mean what? Believing in justification by faith. If you thought I was making much do about nothing, please be convinced. Please. Justification by faith does not mean believing in justification by faith. So you can be justified by faith, but not believe in justification by faith. Meaning, what do you believe in? Justification by works. That's heresy. Justification by faith means that Jesus saves us. And here's how we explain what he's doing from Scripture. Another illustration I use, um, um, it's like electricity. Justification by faith is like electricity. I want any two-year-old child can turn on the lights in the room, but I wouldn't let the two-year-old wire the house, okay? So I want men who are examined in a presbytery for ministry. I want them to understand sola fide. I want them to understand it upwards and downwards, backwards and forwards, because they're electricians, moderated, right, right. They're the ones showing up and running electrical throughout the houses in the church. But hey, hey, wait, wait, wait. Doug Wilson is supposed to be such a man, right? He's the professional. He's the electrician. And he just said faith, faith alone doesn't matter. And you, justification by faith doesn't mean you believe in justification by faith. And so what is he talking about? Again, it's, it's confused, nuanced, back and forth. Why do you want the experts, the electricians, to know that justification by faith alone if you don't have to believe that justification is by faith alone? 
Moderate right, they're the ones showing up and running the electrical throughout all the houses, Doug Wilson. And if they don't do it right, they're going to burn the house down. Right, right. So it's very important. It's very important for ordination. But if you stop a five-year-old and say, um, is the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed or infused? I bet you could get a bunch, I bet you could get a bunch of, say, five-year-olds to answer that question wrong. So is G.K. Chesterton, let me think, is he like a saved five-year-old? <laughs> or is he like the premier intellect, and apologist of Rome. Right. Well, okay, great. Don't ordain them. Right. So don't ordain them just because they don't believe in justification by faith. But they're still brothers, sisters. Whether it's imputed or infused, you caught that. Who believes that righteousness is infused? Those who believe in sacramental salvation. Those who believe in Rome. I don't believe the gospel. Infused righteousness versus imputed righteousness. Now that's given up. Now it's a big deal. Now granted, you might have to explain what you're talking about to some folks, right? But when you explain it, they should get it in a heartbeat. Oh, imputed. Done. By faith. Alone. Otherwise it's infused. Moderator. But someone's hearing this right now and saying, yeah, but Pastor Wilson, that's a five-year-old. If you ask the question of Chesterton, you ask that a question of Tolkien, what level are you going to hold them at? Doug Wilson, well, I'm going to hold them. Basically, what I want to know is, is, is the grace of God present in their life? Again, what grace is this? Is the grace of God present? What I want to know is, is the grace, not whether they believe the gospel, not whether they believe in imputed righteousness through faith alone, but I want to know if the grace of God is in their life. What grace of God are you speaking of? It's not found in here. Because the grace of God in here comes with power. The power of regeneration and illumination and repentance and faith in Christ and his finished work. That is the only grace there is. Any other grace is a fiction, a damnable fiction. Well, I'm going to hold them basically. Basically what I want to know is, is, is the grace of God present in their life? Is the Spirit of God active in their life? What Spirit of God are you talking about? Is the Spirit of God, is the grace of God active in the life of G.K. Chesterton? Easy answer. No. Why? Because he never repented of his many heresies. He never trusted in Christ in his finished work. He never believed the gospel. Now if they say, well, how could that be when they sinned over here or they sinned over there or when they're sinning doctrinally, Chesterton exasperates me, he edifies me and exasperates me at the same time. Whenever he gets on to Calvinist, he talks nonsense. Moderator, he hates them, Doug Wilson. But the reason that's so glorious is because we're not, ha <laughs> laugh, saved by works. He's failing, he's sinning, he's stumbling at that point, and I don't approve of that at all. But... Is the grace of God, is the Spirit of God evident in his life, and his demeanor, and his work, and his insight? You bet! If that's not the Spirit of God, then like I began with, we're in a lot of trouble. Moderator, this question may require omniscience, so I apologize. If you took away Chesterton and Tolkien from you, you would say, I can't live without them regardless. Is there anyone else out there in that level that you could do that with? Doug Wilson, you mean among the Roman Catholics? Moderator, just really in the world. If I said I'm going to take away Dante from you, would that ruin your life? Doug Wilson, no. It would affect it, but it wouldn't ruin it. C.S. Lewis 
So the figures that have a major impact, Chesterton, Tolkien, Lewis, would be right up near the top. There are other figures, but Lewis would be right near the top, and there are other figures, but Lewis would be in the tenth. Moderated, right, right. So even regardless of how you would answer the first question in your life, if it's never, you're, you're never going to give these three guys up. Doug Wilson, no. Moderated, it wouldn't matter because they're that good. Doug Wilson, well, it wouldn't matter because it's already done. It's already baked into the cake. Laugh. They've had such a profound influence on me for good. The Holy Spirit has used them in wonderful, wonderful ways. And what's done is done. It's already happened. It's happened. Right, right, got it. End of discussion. Who is G.K. Chesterton? An ardent Roman Catholic apologist. Who said, quote, the Mass is very long and tiresome unless one loves God an ardent participant in the heresy to the Mass, who understood the Mass. The man was brilliant. He understood the Mass and all of its heretical intricacies, and he loved it. We could pull quote after quote from Chesterton to show who he was and what he was, but that's undeniable. We could look at C.S. Lewis, who was a heretic of a different stripe, Afro-Catholic, half mystic, half pagan, but no Christian at all, who didn't believe in inspiration and inerrancy, preservation, didn't believe in the atonement of Christ, full heretic. And yet I can't give him up as a brother in Christ. I can't give Tolkien up. I can't give Chesterton up. But I don't have time to go into all their heresies. But Douglas Wilson is no novice. He is a theologian and a pastor and a professor and an author. He knows that when he speaks, and he stands where he stands with knowledge. How about moral issues? Moral issues. G.K. Uh, Chesterton inside, Catholic aside. What about ungodly? As Jude warns of. Quote, Douglas Wilson, from Smash the Complementarity. So feminism, smash the patriarchy, feminism, wants us to be ruled by harridans, termagants, harpies, and cronies. That sets the tone, and the pestering is then made complete by small-breasted biddies who want to make sure nobody is using too much hot water in the shower and that we're all getting plenty of fiber. This is the norm for Doug Wilson. He refers to unregenerate women, women that would be characterized as liberal by an incredibly demeaning term that no godly man would ever do, ever use. And no man who cares about their souls. Souls. How are they going to receive the gospel from you after you call them that? It's filthy. It's disgusting. It's shameful. It's ungodly. It's profane. Douglas Wilson on why Christian women are prettier. That's an article he wrote. Unbelieving women either compete for the attention of men through outlandish messages that communicate some variety of easy lay, or in the grip of resentment, they give up the endeavor entirely, which is how we get lumberjack dice. The former is an avid reader of Cosmopolitan and thinks she knows 15,000 ways to please a man in bed. The latter is just plain surly about the fact that there even are any men. Again, unwholesome, unholy, ungodly. I, I don't know what this comes out of. How, how do these words come together in a man of God's mind and hit the page and then go out to the Christian world and nobody's sound an alarm. But, oh, there's, there's worse. 
there's worse. Douglas Wilson, not where she should be. Quote, the first time that this is not done, he must sit down with his wife immediately and gently remind her that this is something which has to be done. At no time may he lose his temper, badger her, call her names. He must constantly remember and confess that she is not the problem. He is, by bringing this gently to her attention, he is not to be primarily pointing her to her need to repent. Rather, he is exhibiting the fruit of his repentance. He does this without rancor, without an accusative spirit, until she complies or rebels. If she complies, he must move up one step, now requiring that another of her duties be done. If she rebels, he must call the elders of the church and ask them for a pastoral visit. And so when your wife, you come home, remember this, man, you come home today, dishes aren't done. Why are these dishes done? Well, I was tired. Well, the dishes needed to be done. Well, I, I was tired. Well, you're going to need to vacuum as well. You treat her like a child. Not like a helpmate. Not like a co-equal before God. But like a child. And if she won't comply, you have another task. And if she still won't comply, she's a rebel, what do you do? Call the elders. Well, don't call this one. Don't you dare. Because I'll be coming for you, man. Not her. Maybe you should say, oh, you know, have you had a hard day? One final word on this. Doug Wilson's profane commentary, Nadia Bolts Weber and Gloria Steinem's celebration of Nadia's profane statue. Now, the statue is profane, but that in no way excuses his words. His words are abominable. The man should not be allowed in the door of the church, much less behind the pulpit, until he repents of this. He says of Nadia Bolts Weber, who is an, a wicked sinner, and Gloria Steinem, he says, they're shamelessly declaring to the world that they are just a couple of five spaces. Worst term you can use for a woman. And I won't say it. And he put it in writing, and he has defended it, and it's still up on his website to this day. And he has defended it, and he stands by it. And he says it of two unregenerate women. As if that, that's what a theologian, that's what a minister of the gospel, that's what a pastor writes and puts out to the world? About 200 generic women? That's evil and hateful. Shameful. He speaks of women as pussy broads, twinkies and tight tops, waifs with manga eyes, harridans, timigrants, harpies, cronies. The, the man wrote a book. The man wrote a book that has a sex robot in it. In which the, the wife says... I don't need uh, more female anatomy, explicitly. And that would be just the beginning. Who is this man? He's a profane man. An ungodly man. He, he writes this, I would like to invite you to imagine, if you will, a tall woman with raven black hair, a full sensuous mouth, a glint in her eyes, an overtopped, busty hair. Now, I shouldn't be reading that. Because... If you're thinking about that, you might well be lusting in your mind about that. A short skirt and thigh-high leather boots with heels. Who writes that stuff? Doug Wilson does. Quote, next time you're in a grocery store, checkout line. No, I don't mean check out. Next time you're in a grocery store, checkout line, check out. No, I don't mean check out. The partially dressed female on the cover of the nearest women's magazine. The kind my kids call a day-old donut, right? The one with the fake baked tan, the abs of a 16-year-old boy, the boobs of a wet nurse, and the knock-your-eye-out bottle blondicity. 
He just told men to look at magazines that the Lord Jesus said, according to Pastor Brian this morning, we should rather pluck out our eye rather than to look into lust. Because to lust is to commit adultery in your heart. And the man just told men to look at it in graphic detail. Who is this man? Why is he invited to the G3 conference? Why do people buy his books? Why does anyone quote him? Now, in the defense of many, they don't know. They don't know. But many do, and they're silent. He's a dangerous man. He's a profane man. He's an ungodly man. He's a man who's a counter-reformer and a defender of the heresies of Rome. That's no big deal. Here's from his book, titled Ride, Sally, Ride, a novel about a sex robot, page 139. Stephanie lost her temper completely and totally shouted at him, Lionel, I already have a blank. What made you think I was in need of another? Who is this man? There's more. That is plenty. That is disgusting. That is revolting. That is evil. May God grant him repentance. And may men in his circle Men that he might listen to actually stand up and quit applauding and say, right, right, when he speaks madness and filth, <clears throat> when he teaches heresy, when he assaults the gospel, when he says justification by faith doesn't mean you believe in justification by faith. Being justified by faith doesn't mean you believe in justification by faith. When he says you don't have to pass some big test in the sky about justification by faith alone. A warning about Douglas Wilson that he has been begging for. And I so wish men far more qualified would do it. But it's not up to the qualified men. It's not up to the lettered men. It's up to Christ men to do it. For love of Christ, love of his church, and love of the lost. 1.2 billion Roman Catholics and the rest of the world who don't need to hear famous, applauded, so-called Christian leaders and teachers and theologians saying this garbage out of the pit of hell. It's not out of the dump. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, bless us, I pray with humility, for it is only by your grace that we hold fast to the gospel. It is only by your grace that we would ever defend, define, and declare it faithfully for love of Christ and his glory and the redemption of sinners. It's only by your grace that we would love sinners enough to speak to them, to preach to them, to go to them in obedience to our Savior. It is only your grace that would keep us from speaking these profane and disgusting misogynist things we do not count ourselves better than any man. But we are labored and burdened by these things, Lord. We pray you freed Douglas Wilson from them, that he would repent and humbly sit down in the back of the church. We pray, Father, his ministry would go no further, that this unholy, profane heresy would make no further inroads into so-called premier Christian conferences like the G3 and into sermons and onto bookshelves. We pray you grant him repentance, Lord, for his blessing, his family, 
this church, and the protection of the greater body. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The guy doing the interview was his son-in-law, and uh, he edited a hymnal and included J.K. Chesterton's hymns in it so that they sing it as part of their worship.